Chapter 4 Devin Price sat in a Louis XIV chair beside his biological father's handcrafted black walnut bed and read the Financial Times aloud. The soft pulsating of a heart monitor kept pace with Devin's words as a feeding tube dripped sustenance into his father. He and his father, Daniel Kingston, had nothing in common. Devin's skin was as dark as the coffee he sipped, while Daniel was paler than milk. Devin had been raised by his mother in Kingston Tower, the low-income housing complex that was a crucible of blood and violence. Daniel had lived all his life here, in the Kingston family mansion, affectionately known as the Brownstone. Daniel hadn't even christened his bastard son with the family name, He'd reserved that honor for his real son, Leo. Yet it wasn't Leo here at his comatose father's bedside. It wasn't Leo taking control of the multinational family company. No, Leo, dear Leo, was dead. And Devin had played a large role in ending the sadistic son of a bitch. As he tormented his dear, not-quite-departed father, with news of impending economic doom, Devin shared only bad news with Daniel. His gaze glided over the Kingston family crest carved into the headboard. Omnes nominis defendere. Above all, defend the family name. Too bad his half-brother hadn't taken those words to heart. Leo had poisoned Daniel with a dangerous designer drug, PXA, leaving him in a coma after Daniel discovered that Leo, the brilliant scientist, the good son, had been abducting girls. Leo had imprisoned them in a secret lab built in the tunnels beneath the city, injected them with his chemical cocktails, and then raped, tortured, and killed them. So much for Kingston family values. Devin turned the page. The prognostications all sounded so certain as if money was what ruled the world. Idiots. He glanced at Daniel, being fed by a tube, eyes staring, unseeing, at the only son he had left. Devin was only 28, but he'd seen a lot in this world. He had studied philosophers who lived above it in ivory towers, as well as street poets who ran in gutters flowing with blood, racing to their own tragic deaths, Despite what the classicists said, the world did not revolve around logic, nor was your fate predetermined. The romantics had it all wrong as well. Passion and love weren't the answer. No, what this world ran on was irony, embodied by karma, kismet, payback. Whatever you called it, it was a bitch. His phone rang. Flynn What did the doctor say? He asked. Flynn was with Devin's daughter, Esme, at her new school up in Vermont. Esme was having a hard time adjusting. No surprise. It had been less than a month since she'd seen her mother, Jess, killed. Same as the others, she answered. Post-traumatic stress. Normal for a girl her age who has been through what she has. This one wanted to give her medicine, but I looked it up. It's an antipsychotic and has side effects. Sometimes talking to her, he forgot Flynn was still a teenager. She had the uncanny ability to morph into whomever the situation called for. 
from protective nanny of a traumatized 10-year-old to stone-cold killer. Send me the info. I'll decide. He almost felt her flinch with his reminder that not only was he Flynn's boss, he was also Esme's father. Some father. First abandoning Jess, the love of his life, 11 years ago, and leaving the only home he'd known. He'd done it to protect her and their unborn child. And then last month, he'd returned home to find Jess murdered, but had reunited with the daughter he'd never known and the father he'd never cared to know. Except now, he, the bastard son, exiled and returned, the son who held his father's life and fortune in his hands, couldn't keep his own daughter safe. He'd been forced to send her far away, out of the line of fire from both his and Daniel's enemies, relying on Flynn to protect the only person in this world.